So by now you've probably dried some food. You've probably frozen some food. And now we need to can some food. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about canning in three different ways to can. To have a good harvest, one must plant good seeds and must also use the right kind of fertilizer. The carrots have grown large and firm. How good they will taste. Welcome to the Backyard Gardens podcast, a companion podcast to the upcoming documentary Backyard Gardens the Movie. A story about two families growing their first gardens in a world that lacks nutrition. I'm your host and director, Ben Neville. And joining us today is my lovely wife again, Kelly Neville. Thank you for having me, my wonderful, beautiful husband. With her NPR voice. So, canning is, I think, considered the holy grail of food preservation. Long term... Don't know how long exactly, but we will get into what we're eating now and how old it is. And it is a little tricky to learn, but once you get a hang of it and you find the right resources, it is not that bad. So starting out, it's important to know what vegetables to can in certain ways. And my wife does most of the canning. I am involved a bit, but she does most of the canning. So she's going to talk a lot about that. Um, And just as a disclaimer, pressure canners can be intimidating, and you've probably heard a lot of horror stories about them, but with proper maintenance and the way technology has come over the years, it's not going to explode on you as easily as it may have back in the 40s or 50s. So you may remember in a previous episode, we talked about how we got our first canner and we were waiting for the top to blow off of it and it never happened, but it was a very, how would you put it? Nerve wracking experience. We were hiding behind the island in the kitchen. We weren't just waiting. We had ducked for cover. And it never happened. And that was seven years ago now, eight years ago. So we, uh, we haven't had any issues, but not d- saying after saying that there is a possibility and just know that, but with the right care and maintenance and having a watchful eye, you should be just fine. So the first way we're going to talk about is water bathing. So Kelly, do you want to explain what water bathing is? So water bathing is when you have a large pot of water that you put on your stove And you literally just bring it to boil and you've got your canned goods inside it and you process them in the boiling water for whatever your recipe says to. And the boiling process and the heat will seal the cans. And then the other one is pressure canning. So you can do that on stovetop. You can do it on an open burner or you can do it via an electric canner. So there's multiple ways to do it. And the other thing to remember, too, is these aren't just pressure canners, they're pressure cookers. So you can cook your roast in, I guess, about 15 minutes, probably. You can cook dried beans in three minutes. You can do a lot of things with this other than can. So when we talk about canners and stuff, remember that they're they're tools that can be used for multiple things. So, and... 
water bathing is not just washing your vegetables with soap and getting them clean. So, um, what is the number one vegetable that you water bath now? Well, that's a trick question because really the number one vegetable is a fruit. I do jellies and tomatoes. Okay. And why do you pick those? Like, what is the criteria for you to know that you're going to water bath? So the criteria for doing a water bath, it has to be a high acid food. So things like blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, those all have a high acid content. Things like pickles and relishes, tomatoes also are high acid. And if if you have a certain type of tomato that may not be as high acid, usually recipes call for a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice to raise um, the acidity. So, and this is important because having a high acid content in your foods will help prevent bacterial growth. Any foods that um, are not very acidic, things like green beans, peas, uh, those vegetables have to be pressure cooked because there's too much of a risk for uh, bacterial bacteria to grow. You mean pressure canned? What did I say? Pressure cooked? Yeah. Yeah, I meant pressure canned. Because you... You would, if you pressure cook peas, you would turn them into mush. <laughs> yes, you would have pea soup. Which isn't bad. In the pressure canner, it takes uh, seven minutes to make uh, split pea soup, just for the record. So since you brought up time, I'm just going to add in that although foods in a pressure cooker don't take very long, it's just a matter of minutes, it does usually take the pressure cooker to reach the appropriate pressure, which can take up to 10 to 15 minutes. So the exact definition I have here for low acid foods, it, they have to have a pH value higher than 4.6 up to 6.9. <clears throat> they include red meats, seafood, poultry, milk, and all fresh vegetables except for most tomatoes. Most mixtures of low acid and high, and acid foods also have pH values above 4.6 unless their recipes include enough lemon juice, citric acid, or vinegar to make them acid foods. So that being said, like I water ba- bath, I keep wanting to say water bathe. I water bathe mm-hmm. jalapenos because I put vinegar in them. So that makes them high acid, correct? Correct. Now, it sounds confusing when we start talking about pH, and I just try to stay away from discussing pH because on a pH scale, the lower you go, the more acidic it is. So it just gets confusing when we talk about low acid versus high acid foods because it's actually an inverse relationship with the pH. But we're not going to worry about pH value because what you're going to do is you're going to look in your garden and decide this is what I'm growing let me go specifically look up this vegetable and see how it needs to be canned. That's the best way to do it. Don't worry about the pH value, right? Correct. I mean, I don't have a pH test kit at my house. No, you just need to be aware of what foods are low acid versus high acid. Right. And again, through this conversation, we're going to bring up our faithful website, pickyourown.org, because they talk about They'll break it down for you. If you go to that website and you say, I want to can summer squash, 
then you just go to that website or you and you type in can summer, summer squash and it'll pop up and tell you sounds really gross i feel like that's on my my top list of things i don't like canned along with mushrooms and asparagus but somebody out there might like canned squash truth truth i i can respect our differences yeah so i'm gonna i'm on their website now and squash yellow is 5.79 to 6 ph so that makes it low acid, correct? No. Yes. See, that's why I don't like to talk yeah. about pH. Let's yeah. just not talk about Let's it Let's not even all. worry. So, generally speaking, all fresh vegetables need to be in a pressure canner. Yeah, except for tomatoes. Most tomatoes. M- most tomatoes. I'm, was there a tomato? What tomato can you think of that's not high acid? I have no idea, but I know I add lemon juice to all of my canned tomato. Yeah, because the recipe tells you to. Water bath recipes. Yeah. Correct. And if your grandma tells you to put aspirin in it before you do it, don't do it. That's <laughs> false. And if you go to this website, it's in like bold red and flashing. Don't use aspirin. Maybe the vegetable's got a headache. I don't know. But I'm not going to use aspirin in it so just don't do that well so ben brings up a good point though with our grandparents and you have to make sure that you use the right equipment and you know there's probably a variety of different jars out there i want to say that i use ball all the time just because that's what what's at the grocery store that's the standard yeah but what you don't want to do is use some vintage jar that looks cool because it may not it might be compromised and just don't trust anything that's super old no it might it's not that it might be compromised it is compromised just think about it that way so before you can there's a process to get the jars ready what do you what do you do? I talk about sterilizing the jars. So I have a very systematic approach that I use in the kitchen. That's uh, an understatement. Well, <laughs> everybody's a little OCD to some extent, and it helps when you're working with sterile equipment. Uh, so I clean my kitchen. I set up a little space where I've got a dish towel laid down that I'm going to put all my canning equipment. And the first thing I'll do with the jars is I just wash them with soap and water, I wash the lids and I wash the rings, and then I want to sterilize them. So for me, I get a big old pot of water boiling and I use that for sterilizing. And then I just kind of keep it on the stove and keep it warm because then I can use it for water bathing. So this is a good point about multi-use tools is the same pot that you use to water bath, water bathe your jars in is the same pot that you can use to sterilize your jars in. Okay. So that's a good thing to remember. It's also a time saver because it takes a long time. Well, we have an electric stove, so it takes a long time to get that large pot of water up to boil. Yeah, it's it's mind numbing. But and that's why you don't really want to can one can at a time if possible. You want to do you know, have a canning session, you know, back in the day they had canning parties, kind of like quilting, quilting parties. Everybody would get together and they would can their vegetables and talk and hang out. Cause it is, a, it takes a little bit of time, but, and especially at first, but once you get a hang of it, it's not bad. Another way that you can sterilize if you have the right dishwasher and you can just put the jars and lids and rings in the dishwasher and run it through a sterilization cycle as well. Yeah. 
And why don't you do that? Because our dishwasher is always full. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Empty your dishwasher out. <laughs> That's the uh, downfall of eating at home all the time. We would, I was just saying the other day, we need to get another set of silverware so we don't have to wash as many dishes. That's pretty bad. But um, yeah, and you cannot reuse the lids. You can reuse the rings, but not the lids. So once you use that lid and it seals and you pull it off, when you're done with that can of food, you throw that initial lid away and you can go buy refills for the lids. Okay. So we used used to use, I think they're narrow mouth jars. Regular. Are are they called regular? They're called regular. Okay. So we use the regular jars and I don't like using those. So we are switching over to wide jars. Yeah. And so the wide jars and the benefit of this is if you have all of your jars with the same diameter of the um, top, when you go to buy refills, you only need to buy one refill. Right. Yeah, that's right. I actually <laughs> just ran into that problem uh, yesterday when I was pulling out. I pulled out some jars to can some green beans and I had two wide mouth and two regular. But fortunately, we had enough lids for. Yeah, because we had kinds. we had bought um, a bunch of narrow lids or regular lids, excuse me. And what we're doing is we're going through all the regular lids. And then when we're done, we're just going to get new jars and start with the wide jars because they're easier to get in and out of and they're easier to pack. I'm about a foot shorter than Ben. So my <laughs> fingers fit in the smaller jars a little easier, but the wide mouth ones are nice. Look, if I need to get a pickle, I want to get my pickle. <laughs> and if I want to get the juice, I'll get the juice, but I need my pickle. I and- heard that. <laughs> So just remember that when you're going to buy your jars, decide what size you want and try and stick with it. And there's different sizes of jars for different things. So when we can our green beans, we like to use the, what are they, quartz, the no, big ones? we use pint size for the green beans. That's the little ones? Me- middle of the road. Yeah, but I like to use the big boys. Yeah, the big ones are the quartz. Yeah, the And big- you can actually go larger than that, but I think you have to go to... Uh, somewhere other than just your average grocery store, like a specialty store to find larger than quart. And we'll get into why we're using pints here in a second. But, um, so anyways, back to the water bathing. So explain your process behind water bathing, how it works versus like the packs and the hot packs, cold packs, stuff like that. So after I've gotten my equipment sterilized or even while my jars are sterilizing, I start to do my food prep and, So some of the different things that I've canned as far as a water bath, I've done tomatoes, salsas, spaghetti, and those I just pack straight up. Uh, Spaghetti sauce, not actual spaghetti. Yeah, not actual spaghetti, spaghetti sauce. And um, we've hot packed certain things. We've hot packed jalapenos and we've hot packed, I want to say the green beans are hot packed as well. Which, what does hot pack mean? It means that you're pouring boiling hot water into the jars along with the vegetables. And so, again, if you have questions about what goes hot pack and cold pack is just putting in cold water, you can go to that website, pickyourown.org. And um, I think we're just going to name this web this uh, episode Pick Your Own. I, I love that website. And then you can it'll tell you like hot pack, cold pack. So now, you know, cold pack is regular water. Hot pack is boiling water. And then what tools do you need? Because I can imagine, as I've seen, um, 
we're missing a critical tool right now and it is a very hot experience working with canning but we've been doing it for about two years because it's kind of we're kind of slack but what tools do you use for or need well i need a magnetic wand that's the one i need really bad so a magnetic wand is it pretty much like a plastic stick with a magnet at the end but it's long so when you've got your lids and your rings floating at the bottom of your your water bath you can use it to pick up Right now, I use a slotted metal spoon to try to scoop my lids out, and it is not very effective. Um, We also use a jar lifter, and it's got a special grip on it, so it grips the edge of those glass jars nice and tight. We use a ruler slash spatula, which is a tool that kind of looks like it has little stairs at the bottom. It's, It's tapered, and this helps release air bubbles along the side of the jar. And you can also use it to measure headspace, even though I usually just eyeball that. And then you've got a funnel. So the jar and, and why this funnel is different than your standard funnel is because the bottom of it fits perfectly into a regular size canning jar. So I'm looking on Amazon right now and there is a six piece set, which I think you only describe like three or four pieces. <clears throat> And it uh, it has the funnel, the tongs, another set of tongs, which is just your normal tongs you have in your house. And then I don't know what that other tool is. I think it's for tightening lids, um, the little spatula thing, and the magnetic wand for ten bucks. So ten bucks to get your tools going. Um, you keep them all together, and you won't lose them. Because I can tell you, I tried to make a magnetic wand last year. I tried to hot glue a magnet to a skewer. <laughs> and, <laughs> My forward thinking was not at the top of its game because when I stuck it in the water, the glue melted again and I had to start over and I had like six batches of pickles ready to go. So um, you got to buy them all together. So don't lose the magnetic wand. okay? please. And if your wife cans for you, she will love you forever if you don't lose your uh, magnetic wand. So those are the basic tools you need. And then what kind of pot do you need for um, water bathing? I don't know if you need any specific type of pot. I know mine is a large, it's tall, it's it's over a foot tall, um, just metal pot that I think we bought for doing like shrimp boils and stuff. Yep. And it's got a lid on it. Um, I don't generally. We got it for five bucks at Walmart. Yeah. I mean, it's just a tall, it's, it's a pot that's large enough that I can fit at least, I'd say five pint jars in and then. You need it to be tall enough so that when your jars are in the water, they're covered by at least an inch of water. So, again, I go back on Amazon and the the correct pot to use for this is a it's like granite looking. It's called it's a granite ware pot and it's a, a bit wider and it actually has racks that you put in it to where you can do multi levels, which would be useful for us. But we just don't do it that way. We just do multiple batches. It's not a big deal. Um, but you can get that with the complete set of everything else for 65 bucks. So, you know, that's up to you, which you want to use. But um, you just need a really big pot. And think about if you've ever gone to like a shrimp boil or seen somebody cook like a, a really big pot of chili. You, you need to get a different pot than what comes with your standard pot and pan set. Correct? 
Yeah, the, even our <clears throat> largest sauce pot that we have, it's not tall enough. It might be wide enough, but it's really not tall enough to get that space over your jars. Yeah, you could do those little teeny weeny like I don't know what they are, corner quarter pints or something. Like four ounce jars. Yeah. Maybe you could do those in there, but Yeah, that's like for caviar or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have we have candied ginger for some reason in one of those. Yeah, because I was making kombucha at the time. Yeah. So that's yeah. And it nobody was... nobody really uses those little ones. No. Not in this house. Uh no. We did them for gifts one year. Because we can stuff for gifts. Yeah, we're those old people that can stuff for gifts. Everyone's like, oh, thanks. We do hand out candy at Halloween, though, so we're not that extreme. (laughs) Yeah, next year or this year, maybe we'll give strawberries out from the garden. Um, And then you just walk down the street and you'd see strawberries growing everywhere because they would just throw them out as soon as they get them. Uh, We're just joking. But yeah, so you do need a specific pot. Not a specific, but you need a good size pot. So. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And then for when you're done, all you need is a dish towel. You need two dish towels. So you need one dish towel. You fold it. You want it as thick as possible to put them on on the counter. And then you fold another one on and then you put them on top to help insulate them so the cooling isn't as rapid and it'll help them seal better. Yeah. And one thing Ben said earlier about the amount of canning that you do at one time, you know, it all depends on how much time in the day you have. You know, if you had enough time to do a full on canning party, you could. Generally speaking, I think so in our house, how it works is Ben really is the one outside in the gardens and he brings in all the fresh fruits and vegetables And I consider it my personal challenge to be able to use those fruits and vegetables, you know, because it's and and that's why we're doing this podcast talking about canning and freezing and drying, because the goal is to use up everything that you get and you don't have any food waste. So I try to can when I've got a proper amount of something. So when I know I've got enough tomatoes to do three to four jars and I can water bath them all at the same time then i'll go ahead and take care of it then do you want to tell everybody about the three pounds of green beans we just had to get throw out no (laughs) (laughs) they got left in the fridge a little too long but we didn't throw them out we composted them so we did you know it happens it is you know we're real people sure i'm no canning genie over here no and you talk about canning tomatoes, so if you your garden's not producing a lot of tomatoes, but you really want to make tomato sauce, and this is how we really got started, you can go to the farmer your farmer's market or like a, a roadside vegetable stand, and you go and you ask them for seconds tomatoes. I'll say that again. Seconds tomatoes. And that'll be like the bruised tomatoes or something. And they might not have a lot that day, but they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll bring them to you because they're not pretty enough to put out and most people won't buy them. But they know right away when you say that, that you're going to can them. And they're like a quarter of the price. It's ridiculous how many we got. So I remember the first time I did it, the guy's like, oh, yeah, I'll bring you a basket. And we got, I guess, a bushel basket full for like 10 bucks. And I think we got... I th- we made stewed tomatoes, I think. No, we made uh, spaghetti sauce, and we got like four or five quart jars out of it. So, you know, if you're making, um, if you're going to the store and you're buying spaghetti sauce, 
you know, if you buy Presto, it's probably like three or four bucks a jar. So, you know, you save a little bit of money and then you can make your own recipes. And I mean, let's be quite frank, it's going to be better than that bland stuff they give you. So, um, and we load it up with the garlic, by the way. So that's a good thing. You, you know, you can use two little, little, I guess they call them a life hack. That's correct. Okay. So that's basically water bathing vegetables. So, and then we're going to let her take over about jellies and jams. So jellies and jams, they're one of my favorite things to make. And I just recently, I don't know if you call it a life hack, but got some good information online for how to make the best consistency jelly. Um, So jellies are pretty simple. Uh, You know, whenever you're doing anything with a canning recipe, find a recipe. Um, It's not safe or you're just not going to get a good end product if you don't follow a proper recipe. And most of the times with jam and jelly, so a key component is pectin. And pectin is bought in your grocery store section with all your other canning goods, um, usually in the baking aisle. Pectin has its own fruit recipes on there. It'll tell you how much sugar to use. There are low sugar or no sugar recipes. Um, You have to follow those recipes to a T because the amount of pectin and the amount of sugar you put in, the two work together. So if you don't have the proper sugar ratio, your, your jelly won't set like it's supposed to. So I pretty much just work off of the pectin um, recipes. Uh, But if you had a recipe from somewhere else, that's fine too. Just follow the recipe. Essentially, you just wash your fruits, you put them, you mash them up, you put them in a large saucepan and you heat them up. And off the top of my head, I don't remember in what specific order, but once they get to a certain point, you add sugar, you add pectin, you might add that before it starts to boil, but you bring it to a boil and I want to say it literally only takes maybe five, 10 minutes to make your jelly on the stove before it's ready to can. And then the hack that I found is that you take a spoon, take a cold spoon and dip it into your jelly. Once you think it's done, pull it out, give it a minute to cool and let it set. And depending on the consistency, if it's too thin, then you can add a little bit more pectin, bring it back up to a boil and try it again. And so it's just a good way to test because if you, if you don't test it and you just go ahead and, and can it, then you might end up with a more runny consistency than you really want. And we do um, low sugar or no sugar. Which one do you do? We've done both. Now, I'm a sugar person, so I don't really prefer the no sugar. The last time I did it, I used stevia and followed a recipe, uh, but I prefer to do low sugar. Okay, so we do low sugar, and it's fine. I think it's fine. It's delicious. Yeah. So I didn't know that you were eating jelly straight out of the hot pot. That bothers me. Why am I not getting a taste? (laughs) Why do I not get a taste? (laughs) The things that go on in the kitchen when you're not around. Man, that's sad. And just so you know, because I love you so much, I just bought you the the magnetic wand. I love you. (laughs) Actually, I had to buy a whole new kit. Because the magnetic wand was five bucks. So I just bought the whole new kits <laughs> for 10 bucks. So we have extras when things break or go bad. So um, that's kind of how it goes. And then I've, when you were talking about following recipes, when it comes to canning, when in doubt, throw it out. Because it won't always smell or look weird, right? 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the number one of the number one rules that I follow is that once a jar has sealed and I put it away, the next time I go to take it out and open it, I need to... <laughs> Ben's looking at my <laughs> shopping list. <laughs> Don't look at that right now. I want a sunrise alarm clock that plays nature sounds. Thank you very much. He does not like the alarm clock I currently have. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway, you got me sidetracked. So when I pull a jar of jelly out and I want to open it, I actually want to get my can opener out and have that nice firm seal on it. I, if I can open it with just my fingers or if it, you know, if it's easy to open or if it doesn't make that pop, then it's bad. I consider it bad. It needs jars, the lids when they're sealed, they suck down. They don't stick out anymore. If you can put your finger in the center of that lid and hear it go boop, 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 boop and pop up and down, it hasn't sealed. Yeah, it doesn't make a high pitch noise. But um, the other thing to do is when you're done and they're cooled, you take the band off and then you pick it up by that little lid and it'll pop off if it's not attached. So I go back behind her and I check because I'm, you know, botulism is a real thing and I don't, I'm sure that it's terrible, but I don't take any chances and I've only thrown out a couple things. One, I just threw out some green beans because when you cook them, we just learned this. So, uh, you, like I said, you're always learning it. The water came out of the green beans. And when I went to go open it, there was like a quarter inch of water in the bottom. And I was like, what in the world's going on? They were sealed, but the water had come out. And so you will lose some water, but you should not lose much. So if it's less than three quarters full of water, then like some of the green beans or some of your vegetables might be out of the water a little bit in the can. And that's fine. Just a very little. But if it's any more, throw it out. And the other thing was we somebody had given me a bunch of venison. Uh, deer meat and I tried to make some Brunswick stew and um, because the rule in our house is we don't eat meat unless we kill it or somebody we know has killed it so um, I tried to can this venison and after I canned it I kept looking at it and I was was like I'm gonna crack it open and I never had the gall to open it up because I was scared so I just threw it out and you know save the jar but um, you know if you if you're worried about it and you think it's going to be an issue don't do it. If you put aspirin in it, just throw it out because it's not going to be good. But um, so now you know how to make jellies and you know how to identify what food can be water bathed. So now we're going to move on to the actual holy grail of canning, pressure canning. Okay. So you're going to need to get a pressure cooker. Um, you can get any pressure cooker unless you have one of those glass top stoves, which is what we have. And we've always had. So the problem with the glass top stove is they get hot and then the, the heat cuts off and then it goes away and then it comes back and then it goes away and it comes back. So that's how it stays warm versus one of the ones I don't have no clue what it's called, but the curly Q thing, you know what I'm talking about? The, I want to say old school, it, it's but it's just a coil, a coil, coil. Yeah. They stay consistently hot. So you need to get a flat bottom pressure cooker for your glass top stove. So the one that we use is the Presto 017812023 quart pressure canner and cooker. And it's a flat bottom. So we've done it on two different stoves. 
three different stoves that are um, glass top. Glass top, and we have had no issues. Correct. Correct. Everything has sealed. Everything is pressure cooked. So it is a little. Um, it is a little bit of an investment to get the pressure cooker. It is twenty three. Or I'm sorry, the twenty three quart is seventy six bucks on Amazon. So it is a little bit of an investment. But again, if you're pressure cooking and canning, it pays for itself in time. And it definitely pays for itself literally in time if you're pressure cooking your food. Yeah. And I mean, this one, you know, it says it's got extended extended 12-year warranty. I mean, these things, like any other kitchen appliance, it's going to last. Yeah. You take care of it, it'll last for quite a while. Yeah, and the one thing you need to do in order to keep it safe is keep an eye on the gasket on the inside of it. That is the important part. That is what keeps the top from blowing off, from letting off too much steam and all that. And it comes with a little weight that you put on top of it to block the steam to keep the pressure on it. Don't lose that weight. So when you're done and it's all clean and all that good stuff, put that weight inside the pot so it's always there. And then if you want to, I believe you just take a little bit of olive oil every once in a while, like once or twice a year, maybe just a little bit and put a thin coat around that gasket to keep it from dry rotting. Cause if you don't use it all the time. So how do you pressure can? So I do the same process of sterilization with my jars and once my food's ready, literally all you have to do is set your prep jars inside the pressure cooker, seal it up. Um, now, if we were using this one, again, you go by either the guidelines in your recipe or probably more for this one, the guidelines on your pressure cooker. Usually you add a specific amount of water to the inside of the pressure cooker. It's not much. Yeah, it's it's not much. It's like a half inch or an inch or something like that. It, and it tells you. It's enough you. to go a half inch or an inch up on your jars. And then um, you just close the top. And for this one, it's got a pressure gauge. And so your recipe or your pressure cooker guide will tell you for how long and to what pressure you need to bring it up to. If you're at a higher altitude, that's going to change things a little bit. And then once you've reached your temperature, you try to maintain it there cook it for the five, 10 minutes or however long it takes to process. And then when you're all done, you turn it off and just let it cool down and you're, you're done. Yeah. Follow the directions in the recipe book that comes with the canner for that kind of stuff. Cause it's made specifically for that canner. So that's a good way. And the way you regulate the pressure is based on the heat. So you would turn the heat down until you get that pressure that you want and you want to keep it above that pressure. So if it says, um, let me make sure I tell you the right number. Yeah, if it says you need it at 14 pounds of pressure and your gauge goes up in increments of five and when you're when you're pressure canning and it's goes a 14, then it drop you need it drops to 12, but you need to keep it at 14 for three minutes, then I personally start that timer over once I get it back up to 14. Yeah, that's a correct way to do it. <clears throat> So I start over. Um, I don't take anything out or anything like that. I just kind of start the timer over. And if it goes up to 16, it's not a big deal. But you want to keep that pressure on the the recommended. So you can't necessarily mix different vegetables. You need to do all of your 
okra at once, all of your green beans at once, so on and so forth. You can't do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I would say the same goes for the size jars. I would do all same size jars. Yeah, I don't know. We've always used same size jars for the most part. But yeah, that that makes sense because it's different sizes. Um, again, just be safe. You know, um, different jars, if they're different sizes, they'll heat up different. My thinking would be. But if you have a question about that, you can go to the uh, pick your own dot org. And I'm sure they have something. I'm not going to look through it because it'll take me. I'll be sitting here an hour listening to me click, but it'll be on there. <clears throat> so I would say follow your recipes. That's your take home lesson today with the water bath or pressure canning. Yeah. And then when you're done and it's off, you take that weight off of it and then it'll release the pressure. <laughs> so that was the worst part for us was getting that weight off. And you got to kind of do a, like a, a grab and snatch deal where you grab it and you pull it off real quick and it's going to whistle and shoot steam everywhere and it, it, it gets kind of crazy aloud for a minute but then you'll watch that pressure gauge drop and when that pressure gauge drops you're going to twist the top off and when the top comes off you open it so that it is facing away from you so that the rest of the steam and stuff can come up so you just kind of like angle it up and then the steam will go away from you and that's the the safety mechanism that i'm going to give you for uh, not getting burnt yeah, I would only open that if that pressure read zero. Yeah, yeah. Don't rush it. Canning is not a rushing thing. So, um, yeah. And then you take them off, you put them back on that towel, and you cover them, and you just want to keep them insulated so that they can can. Now, one thing, I don't know if you talked about, how tight do you put the bands on when you can? So, they're supposed to be hand tight. They're not supposed to be super tight. And so, here in... Gentlemen... That means you do not gorilla them on. Yeah. You just hand tie them. But then, uh, gentlemen or ladies. Yeah, but guys, in my, in my experience, and I have excessive experience with people tightening stuff. Can you do this at home? See? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. No, I used to teach a class back in the day about um, tightening battery packs onto... Um, digital uh, scales for the ocean and every time we got one back I had to maintain them the guys had them they were always over tight and ruined so in my experience the guys kind of try and muscle stuff on when it doesn't need to be but you know women can be strong too and might do it you know so or you can be like me and in the case of our green beans I did not tighten them enough so I think that's how we lost our water but yeah so you just want to be careful with it and the reason for hand tightening them is the reason for hand tightening them is you need to let a little bit of air inside the jar escape. So there's something called headspace, and that's what that one tool was that we we talked about earlier. And you measure the amount of headspace, and it's from the top of the jar down to the contents. And every recipe will tell you how much headspace you're supposed to have. And um, you just you wanna you wanna make sure that you process jars to whatever the recipe says for headspace. Otherwise, they may not seal properly. Yeah, and can I tell you that the uh, other tool pack that I almost bought had a digital timer in it, and it made it five dollars more. In the world of smartphones and timers on stoves and everything, it seems a little ridiculous, but I don't know. I just saw that. But anyways, yeah. So don't over tighten them. And then you don't have to tighten them again until they're completely cooled and you've tested that lid. Yeah. 
Correct. And always buy the same brand lid that you have or the same brand jar. So don't mix and match brands. <clears throat> right? Right. Okay. Um, anything else for canning? I feel like there's like so much more you can talk about. No. Uh, I was just going to talk a little bit about fermenting when we get to our recipe. Oh, fermenting. Because this is a different way of canning too. Well, why don't you talk about that and then we'll get into the recipe, what the fermenting is, because certain things you can ferment, right? Uh, uh, you know, I can't really speak to anything other than pickles because that's the only thing I've done. Sauerkraut. But that's different. That's a different kind of fermenting. So, yeah. So I'm not sure the process <coughs> with, with other foods, but one of the first things that we started canning was pickles. And we're very specific in our family with what type of pickles we like. And you'll get to hear our, it's not really a secret recipe because it is out there on the internet. No, it's secret because we had to search high and low. I feel like we went to the top of the Himalayas to get this recipe. <laughs> we might have. If anybody's a Clawson pickle fan out there, then you will like this pickle recipe. Boom. Yeah. Um... So what kind of cucumbers were we growing? So no, we always grow because, again, when you think about what you're going to grow and what you're going to can, think about how you're going to use it. So the specific uh, variety that we grow is Boston pickling cucumber. And so those grow to the right size for pickles. And then at the same time, if you want to, I mean, I don't taste the difference. They taste fine with me when we slice them. So the cucumbers are Boston pickling cucumbers and they're just a smaller variety. They don't get like a foot long or anything like that. They're not, I mean, maybe six to seven inches and then they'll get bigger and bigger. But, you know, that's just kind of how that works. But we use, we grow those. Um, maybe I should try a different variety, but I just, I like it and I'm going to keep growing it. Um, actually, I take that back. If I, I haven't looked for this, but if I find something that has a, um, uh, resistance to powdery mildew then that is what i will start growing i don't care what size it is but until then we're just going to keep running these but they they are the right size so we get those and then what do you do okay so the perfect size pickle i think for me is around four to five inches so when i get the cucumbers out of the garden what i'll do is i'll quarter them and I washed them, then quarter them. And then I've already got my sterilized <clears throat> prep jars. And at the very bottom, I'll put some spices. And then I pack them full of the cucumbers. Now, we, we didn't say this before, but anytime you go to can anything, it should be a full jar. Uh, it should never be a partial jar. It may not process properly. So I pack them pretty tight. Um, tight enough because you're going to add your pickling um, juice into or your pickling concoction whatever you want to call it in with the cucumbers so if there's not enough in there they'll start to float to the top um, well hold on before you say that when you pick your cucumbers um, I learned this last year do not try and can over ripen cucumbers they turn mushy so yeah there was a it was kind of gross when we opened a can and we we're like ooh, but yeah nobody wants a mushy pickle so some of the key things with fermenting, you want to use pickling salt or naturally fine sea salt. Um, I, I buy a pickling salt and again, they're in the same, once it gets to be summertime, the grocery stores usually have a section all set up for pickling or not for pickling, but for canning. 
And then you always want to clean your produce. One of the key things when fermenting pickles, so once I've made my jars, they have to sit on the counter for a few days. They have to remain fully submerged within that jar. So at least half an inch underneath the brine while it's fermenting. You cover the fermentation container. So for my jars, what I do is I just put one of the canning lids on top. Um, You can use a clean towel. Um, You don't want to use plastic wrap because you don't really want it airtight because you need that airflow to to grow to get your fermentation going so what are you growing in there <laughs> so like i a- i do grow something um if you want your pickles to properly grow the the funk that shows up on top and yeah i'm gonna call it funk you need the temperature to also be between about 70 75 degrees for faster fermentation yeah we keep our house a little cooler than that so it takes longer it takes and a little longer to yeah. be clear i do not look inside of the jars when they are doing this because <laughs> i wouldn't need them so that's why i let her do it all because it's gross it's uh you know it's all about knowing where your food comes from and you know we went plant-based for a reason and that's all i'll say but uh you know so knowing how your pickles get made there is the white stuff. Now, this is how you know that you've got pickles going. Uh, the white residue that sometimes you can see on top of your sauerkraut or hot sauce, um, it's a wild yeast. And it forms usually when fermentation process has been going on for a couple of days. And it's safe. Um, it does look a little sketchy. Can, can you make bread with it? I doubt it. I mean, I, I hear yeast and I think bread, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Okay. I don't know enough about yeast. I know I use dry active yeast when I make bread, but... Anyways. So you skim off this. Um, you just don't want it to ever become furry or colorful, or it shouldn't have an unpleasant odor. And then if you see that, then you have to start all over again. But once I see this white stuff on the top of my pickle jars... I skim it off and usually either that day or maybe next day, I know my jars are ready for canning and processing. And then you water bath them? And then I water bath them. Oh, okay. I, th- I didn't know you water bath Man, I learned something new today. So when I made those pickles that time, they didn't turn out good. It's because I didn't ferment them. Yeah. So the reason why I can water bath them, even though it's a fresh vegetable out of the garden, the... Um, recipe calls for it's uh, got cider vinegar in it so it's got enough vinegar to make it a high acid food is this the exact recipe that you have here yes oh this is not in the recipe container that we have I probably used the entire wrong recipe last time so why they didn't turn out she was sick last year and I made a bunch of pickles and um, apparently I did it way wrong, so... No, it's in both places. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't ferment them. But, um, and then another thing, too, I, I forgot this earlier, especially in the end of the year. If you have an app on your phone called Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, it gives you um, discounts at grocery stores based on... Or no, it gives you money back on from grocery stores based on products that you buy. And last year... They had ball cans on there. Buy one uh, pack, which they're like eight bucks, and you got five dollars back. So then that's money that it, it essentially puts money into an account on there. And then once you get, I think it's 40 bucks, 
you can cash it in for a gift card to a certain amount of places. So that's another way that you could save money and really get 12 jars for $3. So just keep that in mind. But um, yeah, so we're going to move directly now into our Clausen pickle recipe. The best way to take 25 cents a pound vegetable and turn it into a $5 money saver. Yeah, the knockoff Clausen pickle recipe, the only pickle recipe that we have really made. Although I did pickle some okra this year, I was which I'm say, excited about. Yeah, and let me just talk about that real quick because I've said it before in every episode we've been talking about this. Slimy okra is gross, and we went to a restaurant and they had pickled okra and we tried it and it was delicious. But is what was it, bread and butter flavored? Mm, it was sweet flavored. Okay. So, yeah, we did those. But anyways. Got to put a little sugar on it. Yeah, you got to put some sugar on top. But anyways, we'll get to the uh, Clausen recipe. Okay. So, this recipe is for four quart-sized jars. So, I have actually taken this recipe on the note card I'm looking at and broken it down to a two-jar and one-jar recipe because sometimes I do not have as many cucumbers as this calls for. So, I'm going to give you the full-blown, all-out four-jar recipe. So you need 35 to 40 cucumbers, a gallon of cold water, a cup of cider vinegar, two tablespoons of pickling spices, two thirds cup salt. And remember, we're talking specifically the pickling salt, four cloves of garlic and four fresh either dill heads or four tablespoons of dried dill seed. So the dill heads we grew in our garden and that's how we got our dill. So that's another way that you can use dill. And we actually specifically grow dill for this. Yeah. And so. that actually, dill produced enough to have plenty for the recipe. Yeah. Are we done with Because I haven't grown dill in a couple of years. Are, do we still have some of that dill left over? No, I don't believe so. Actually, I think we, we do. might. I think we have some. So one season. Not much though. One season of dill lasted us five years of canning. And we can probably eight jars of pickles a year, maybe eight quart jars a year. I, I started to set a limit because I realized we don't really eat as many pickles as we thought. But that's the thing with the dill seed, too. I mean, we really don't use it in any other recipes. No, but our son that's five is a uh, he eats a hamburger. And he's like, I want a pickle. I want a pickle. So and a, and a, a fresh made Clausen pickle by you put in a pan. And warmed up so it's a little bit crispy. Ooh, doggy. That's good stuff. This ain't Mayberry. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah. And then you do the fermenting process. Yep. So you do the fermenting process. So pretty much what you're going to end up putting on the bottom of your jar, you're going to layer the dill, the garlic, and then you're going to put the cucumbers in. And then in a separate bowl, you mix your water, your vinegar, your spices, and your salt. And then you just pour the brine over the cucumbers, let them ferment. Another key point is you don't want to put them in direct sunlight. You need to keep them just somewhere warm. And then if um, the foam, as it develops, you want to spoon it off daily. If the foam or any sort of fuzz attaches to a cucumber, you need to take that cucumber out and remove it from the batch. You can just remove one cucumber? You can just remove one. And you know this for a fine. fact? 
Yes. Okay. So yeah, again, I get freaked out. So it you literally know that I can remove this one cucumber and throw it out and everything else will be good? Yes. Okay. Interesting. So remember, these are wild yeast. These are not bacteria, essentially, that you're growing. So... Yeah, it's like you know you make kombucha. You're you're essentially growing yeast to feed everything. So, and then you can them in a water bath with two inches of water above it, or an in, at least an inch of water above it, and then you let it cool, and you're done. And you're done. And then you do you do not need to store them in the refrigerator. They can stay out. If you wanted to store a jar in the refrigerator, you could. Um, you don't have to can it first if you do that. No, you don't have to can it. Once it's done fermenting on the counter, if you wanted to just pop one in the fridge right away, you could go ahead and just put it in the fridge. But it, it will be not, fine. It will not last, correct? No, it won't last. Okay. So just be ready to eat them pickles. So a lot of times, sometimes we have pickles that are not, um, that didn't seal right. And we'll just give those jars away with the one thing that they have to give the jar back, which I don't think I've gotten the last jar back. <laughs> Now, I know there's other pickling strategies out there where you can put things directly in the fridge. Uh, so, again, stick to your recipe. This is just our recipe that we use for pickling. Oh. Have have fun out there. You said sound like you were going to say something else. And I actually, I did forget to talk about how long they um, stuff can last. So, we made apple butter back in 2013, right? Uh, 2015. 2015, four years ago, and we're still eating that apple butter. Uh, do we have any jars left, or did we finally finish it? No, we still have jars. So we still have jars of apple butter four years later, coming up in five years, and we eat it. So that's how long it lasts for. And I don't know. I'm, I'm actually starting to get a little worried. I was going to say, I think there's recommendations, and I was just talking to somebody at work that thought after a year you're not supposed to eat canned goods but no that's from the store this is this is not and i love you laurel but she's not the most uh granola person as she would call it so i I, i'm sure there's a guideline that's put out there um so i'm not gonna necessarily uh give advice saying to eat your canned goods after so many years I would just I would just fact check us on that one with how long you can eat something that's been stored for. Yeah, I mean you just got to be safe. Um, but it does last. And then another thing that we did is we bought a um, electric canner, pressure cooker, rice cooker, all in one type situation. That's really been a godsend for us. I can't believe we didn't even talk about that till now. I, I love that thing. Yeah. So the, and that's why we only use pint jars now at point at certain times because you it only fits pint jars okay that's the downfall of it and we actually only use it for um pressure canning but you know if you have one jar that you want to do you can throw it in there real quick and it saves you a lot of time and you can actually bang out more food so let's talk about how easy this uh, electric pressure canner is Please you, do. You literally put the jar in of whatever you've made. You fill it up with whatever water rec- is recommended. You close it. You push a button for the time that you need to run it, 10, 15 minutes, and you hit start. 
You don't have to watch a dial for how much pressure. You can hear it start to get pressurized. Once it's pressurized, it'll start your time for how long it needs to cook. And then it's got a similar thing like the weight on top of uh, our stovetop pressure canner where instead of taking the weight, there's not a weight you take off. You just kind of tap the release button and you can release the steam gently. But it's just so amazing to be able to set it on the counter, hit a button and walk away from it and not have to babysit the pressure gauge. Okay. And I just looked up um, storage for it and it says that um, you're going to get a kick out of this. I found that most canned vegetable and fruit retain good quality for eight to 12 months. Applesauce and apple butter stay good for two or even three years. So that's why we're still eating <laughs> apple butter with no issues. Because, I mean, how much apple butter can you eat? So, um, you know, there, there's your recommendation based on this website that we've been talking about. Eight to 12 months. So you, you can a lot, then you can cycle them. And um, it, it looks like it says that mostly the quality goes down. It's not necessarily a safety issue. Yeah, it might get a little um, mushy maybe, but we we haven't thrown anything out. And again, you just, whenever you're opening something, you check the integrity of the jar itself to make sure that, you know, it's still got that airtight seal and you look and you smell and you do just a a baseline assessment to make sure that your food looks and smells how it should. And like Ben said, if there's any question, then you toss it. But I mean, otherwise, I don't think we've really come across anything, even our, our canned venison. All, all the jars open correctly and the food was probably fine. And again, if you're canning meats, now we really haven't ever canned meat other than that. When you're reheating, you want to bring it up to the proper temperature to ensure that you're killing off any sort of lingering bacteria. But I mean, all in all, it sounds like, you know, if you do the process right and you're just pretty meticulous from start to finish, you can keep canned goods for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, this site continues to go on saying people have eaten stuff that they've forgotten about. 10 years later. So if you do it right, it lasts. And we do not have any advice for canning meats. Just to be clear on that, we are not giving any advice on that. And everybody needs to learn how to can their certain things and look up recipes. We're just giving you guidelines and an introduction and how to make your gardens vegetables last longer throughout the year. So you can continue to enjoy them. So if you have any questions, let us know. I'm actually going to put a picture of the broken down recipe that my wife did with all her math. So you can make your pickles based on um, certain jar amounts. I'll put it on our Instagram, which is Backyard Gardens, the movie. And it'll be on our Facebook too, Backyard Gardens, the movie. So you guys can find it there. And if you have any questions, let us know. And until next time, we will talk to you soon. We're going on vacation, so we're going to go surf it up for a couple days. So uh, y'all have a good day, and we'll talk to you soon. Cut. So if you have any questions or want to know what we've been up to, you can follow us on our social media pages. On Facebook and Instagram, it's Backyard Gardens the Movie. And on Facebook, we also have a group. It's called Backyard Gardens. We have a website, BackyardGardensTheMovie.com. You can sign up there for an email to get updates about production and release dates for our movie and give us a like and a review on iTunes or in your favorite services because it'll really help us reach more people because we want to help everybody learn to grow and grow for change. Cut. Now you know why people feel like celebrating at harvest time. <laughs>
All over the world, people have feasting and good times when the crops have been gathered in. 